first. If that fan is on, on that heater, someone click it off, please. I can't tell. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles. We, we will be covering verse 30, but I'm going to begin reading at verse 48, excuse me, verse 34 through 48, 34 through 48, chapter 10 of Acts. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. As for the word that He sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and historical word to our minds and to our hearts. And Father, I ask that you take, as you did that day, the words of Peter. And cause your Holy Spirit to change sinners into saints. Cause us, your saints, to believe and to extol your name all the more. For we never tire. We never tire of singing. We never tire of hearing 
this glorious good news of peace with you. Do it, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 2,000 years ago, there was a baby that was born in Bethlehem and cried and needed a diaper changes and grew up and learned the trade of his adopted father, a carpenter. And that man happens to be the one through whom the entire universe was created. All things were made through him and by him. And that means that every person in this room owes his or her existence to this carpenter from this little town called Nazareth in Galilee. Every one of us in this room will meet him in the flesh as our judge. And it is eternally better to have that future meeting not be your first meeting with the Lord Jesus. So that that meeting on Judgment Day will be the vindication that you have met Him here. That you belong to Him. That you have believed in Him. And that day will be the entrance into everlasting joy in the resurrection of your bodies in order to praise Him and glorify Him forever and ever. What we have here this morning laid out in this passage is the way of salvation. And it's always twofold. First, it is the gospel message being proclaimed. And then secondly, it is the Holy Spirit of God sovereignly working to apply that message to hearts of sinners who are being saved. That's the passage as a whole. But this morning, we're only going to deal with the first part. The content of the gospel as Peter preached it in Cornelius' house. Then next week, we will look at the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit, taking that word preached by Christians and causing it to enter into hearts so as to save them eternally for Christ. What we see in our passage this morning through Peter's lips is not the popular American evangelical gospel. It says, there is a loving God. Jesus is His Son, and He's really kind and meek and mild and loves every person in the world, and He really wishes that you would believe in Him so He can help your life out. It's not what He preaches. He preaches the biblical gospel. 
here. He lays it out clearly and concisely to these Gentiles that are gathered in Cornelius, that is, the Roman officer's house. And so, let's fix our attention. Let's listen closely. Let's believe what he says, and let's make it our ongoing purpose until we die to tell these same gospel truths and let the Holy Spirit do His work. So first, let's recap how we got here into this house. Remember from last week, God gave to Peter a vision that totally changed his life. And at the core, what Peter got out of that was this. The gospel of Jesus to save sinners is not just for Jews, but all the world, all non-Jews. Gentiles can have the gospel preached to them and be saved by Jesus. And so we saw that with the coming of Christ, the cultural food laws to the Jews that God gave in the Bible are abolished. They, they don't need to be practiced. And when the gospel goes to Gentiles, they certainly do not have to become a Jew in order to be saved by Jesus. Peter learned the lesson as he said back in verse 28, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And so Peter, he obeyed the Lord's direction, goes all the way to Caesarea with the men that Cornelius sent and with a number of Jewish Christian brothers. And now they're there. Cornelius has already invited a whole bunch of people his family members, relatives, and friends, and they're gathered right there. And then Peter asks Cornelius, So, why have you sent for me? Pick up with verse 30. Cornelius answers, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner, by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Wouldn't you love to preach to a crowd like that? They're ready. Continue. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality between Jew and Gentile. But in every nation, anywhere, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. 
In other words, he's saying to them, you non-Jews, you Gentiles can also be saved by this message I'm about to tell you. And so let's take this gospel message one piece at a time. First, verse 36. As for the word that He, God, sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He just said, God sent the word. He sent news. He sent the message to the Jews, to Israel. And He did it by the thing called preaching, heralding. They didn't, kings didn't do like Donald Trump and tweet whatever is on his mind. You have a message as a king. You send heralds to run to towns. Gather and make announcements. Hear ye, hear ye. Here's a proclamation from the king. This is what he sent. News. God sent word to the people. The word which came through heralding, through preaching. It is the good news of the king. The good news. Gospel means good news. The good news of what? It's right there in the text. It's the good news of peace. It's the gospel. God is offering to make peace with rebellious sinners because he's not at peace with sinners. That's why the sermon ends in verse 43 this way. Everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through His name. And so Peter begins and says, God offers this through Jesus Messiah. Jesus Christ. The good news is that God is the peacemaker through Jesus. He offers to be at peace and not at war with sinful rebels. We have peace with God only, only when God's righteous, just anger toward us is put away. And then he's at peace. Or in other words, a way to say it is only when God's holy justice toward us sinners somehow 
accomplished, fulfilled, justice fulfilled, and then replaced with those sinners with His peace. Reconciliation. Things are good forever with you, my former enemy. We have peace with God only that way. Remember how the New Testament put it in Ephesians 2. Paul writes, all of us by our very nature in which we are born into this world, we are all children of God's anger. His wrath like the rest of mankind. We need every soul in this room, whether you know it, really know it or not, you need God to be at peace with you. And it comes only through Jesus Christ. That's the first peace. Then, Listen to what Peter says to this Roman army officer and a bunch of soldiers that he's over that are there and Gentile family members who all understand Caesar to be curios, Lord. He says, God makes peace through Jesus, the Messiah, who is Kurios. He is Lord of all. When God came bearing terms of peace with each and every sinner in this room, He did not send an angel. He did not send some lowly messenger to herald it. He sent the Lord of the universe. So as Peter begins, the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord. This is the most important mission that anybody has ever gone on in the history of the world. This mission of peace with God, it required the Lord of the universe in order to accomplish those terms of peace. Jesus is not just the Lord of the Jewish people, but of every people group everywhere. He is the Lord and the ruler of you, Cornelius, and your family, and these Roman soldiers under you, and all who are here today. He's the Lord of all. He's the Lord of sickness, 
and over demons and over death. That's where Peter knows he's going next. So that's his introduction. You've heard. Here's the gospel. God is offering with you sinners, his enemies, terms of peace, an eternal peace treaty. And then Peter goes now to point to Jesus' earthly ministry. Verse 37. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, John the Baptist. That is this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He says, God anointed Jesus, here's the picture, not with physical oil running over his head and down his body, this picture we're supposed to see, but with an immaterial spirit. The Spirit of God Himself was poured out upon Him, empowering Him. So he says, who? Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus. And from that town, 30 miles down the road from here in Caesarea, you can walk there in two days. Jesus of Nazareth. In other words, a real man. A real human being who was born and has a hometown and is known there and has a family there and owned his own carpenter's shop. By saying, Jesus, from this little town of Nazareth, Peter is making it clear that this Lord of the universe had become a human being. Like you. Like me. Except without the sin nature. As a man, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. In order, like many other persons whom God anointed to one extent or another, did some extraordinary works like Elisha and Elijah. But this man, he had the anointing in a way no other ever ever had. And it was for his earthly ministry of preaching and healing and casting out demons. He did all of these good works because of God's anointing upon him. Read on what he did. He went about doing good in healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. He did all these extraordinary things because God was with him. When Peter says that, the point is not that Jesus was not God, but that as God, 
He became truly man. And as a man, he relied fully upon God. That's his point. As the Apostle Paul wrote in that great passage in Philippians 2 concerning Jesus, he says, Though before his birth, before his conception in the womb of Mary, though he was in the form of God, he did not count his equality with God a thing to be grasped, held on to and not become human. That's what he's saying here. He did not count his equalness with God something to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself. In God's hand, God's Holy Spirit was with Jesus in fullness. The eternal, without beginning, Son of the Father became a human being and He walked in perfect harmony and intimacy with the Father and the Holy Spirit. When Jesus acted, when He healed, when He cast out demons, He set people free, the Father acted. That's why Jesus, remember, said, Philip, how long do I have to be with you? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He means the same thing about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Do you remember what he told Peter in his other chosen Apostle says, guys, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. It's better that I go away, do the work that I have to do, ascend to heaven, and I will send God, the Holy Spirit, to you. See, He has been with you. What does that mean? It means I, Jesus, have been with you. If you've seen me, you've seen the Holy Spirit. It works. These years, the Spirit has been in your presence through me. But I'm going to go away. and He won't just be with you like that. He will be in you. I and the Spirit are one as I and the Father are one. That's what he's driving at. He was anointed in his humanity. Fully with the Holy Spirit. And then Peter continues on, verse 39. Remember, he just here's his Jesus' earthly ministry, and then he goes right into very important words. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. We're witnesses. And then there's a short little sentence. 
that is huge. For instance, we're witnesses of this also. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. That statement is a key aspect to God making peace with guilty sinners. It is central to the message, to the good news of the gospel. That in spite of all that Peter had just said, that Jesus went around doing good works, ministering, setting people free because God had anointed Him with His Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, He was killed. And there's only one possible explanation for that. And that is that God willed it. He willed that His Son, as Chris read this morning, be killed. Be killed by the hands of sinful men. That is precisely what the Apostle Peter said in his very first sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. In the midst of that sermon, he declared, This Jesus delivered up according to, meaning to the cross and to death, delivered up according to, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This is the Jesus you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And this is how the early church prayed together in chapter 4 of Acts. God, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, there it is again, who was gathered together against him, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And so here's his point. Jesus had to suffer God's anger. His wrath against all the guilty sinners who were to be pardoned, forgiven. That had to happen in order for God to remain righteous and to remain just in the very act of declaring the guilty. I'm at peace with you now. I declare you forgiven. I declare you justified. Peter just states it in our text. Simply, this way. He was killed on a cross. 
And then Peter moves on to the other key aspects of the Christian message. Verse 40. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with Him after He rose from the dead. There's Peter's eyewitness testimony. He says to them, I ate and drank with Jesus after He was killed and raised in human life to immortality. God vindicated His peacemaker, in other words. And through Him, He conquered human death. As the Apostle Paul goes on in that great passage in Philippians 2, a pickup we were left off a few minutes ago, he goes on to say, and being found, Jesus, in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name, the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, that man from Nazareth in Galilee, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Yahweh to the glory of God the Father. The entire validity of Christianity stands on the truthfulness of Peter's statement of what he just said. There are no two ways about it. As he stands there in front of this crowd in Cornelius' house, Peter is either lying or he's telling the truth. Think about Cornelius for a moment. Poor man had the bejeebies scared out of him a few days earlier when God sent an angel to speak to him. And the angel told him to do particular things he could never know. There's a guy named Peter 30 miles away in the town. Go send some people to go get them. He did all that in obedience. And the guy comes and he knows he's supposed to hear what this man, Peter, has to say. And he's ready now. And Peter declares, God raised Jesus of Nazareth from the dead. My friend, I saw him and I had meals with him. That's what the gospel is declaring. Peter was clearly saying 
This is not some vision like, like Hamlet's father that he would see. He is saying that my dear friend from the town of Nazareth with a glorified human body that somehow could eat food, that man is alive now, after death, forevermore. And that's not the whole story of the Gospel yet. Peter goes on to say that this Jesus, this this human being, this Lord of all, will be the final judge of every human being who ever lived. Whether they are dead now or remain alive when He comes back to judge. Verse 42. This Jesus, He commanded us, the eyewitnesses, He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. And in just a few seconds after Peter speaks those words, the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit fell upon these Gentiles and opened their eyes to the truth and the beauty of what Peter said. To the truth and the beauty of this Savior, this Lord of the universe, this Judge of the universe. And I pray He does the same for every soul in this room. That you would see you would see how true what Peter said is. That you would know the experience of how alive the resurrected Lord Jesus is right this moment. Oh, may God grant that to every one of us. Because every single one of us in this room will stand before Jesus Christ as a very personal, omniscient, all-knowing judge in order for Him to finally decide your eternity. And the decision that Jesus the judge will make in that moment will be determined by whether or not you in this life respond to His offer of peace. By believing this good news, this gospel, by receiving Jesus as your treasure, 
as your Savior, as your Lord. The Apostle Paul, in looking forward to the future, when Jesus will judge every single human being personally and in-depthly, He looks forward and he declares this as he writes to the church in Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 1. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, think warfare here, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance. He's not at peace with them. Inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the Gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. But if you're at peace with Him, when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all, who have believed. That is meant to be frightening. Because reality is often very scary. And years later, the end of the first century, the uh, resurrected and ascended Lord Jesus Himself in very picturesque language reveals to His friend, the Apostle John, about this future judgment day. And He has him write it this way. From Revelation 20, verse 11 to 15. John declares... Then I saw a great white throne and Him who was seated on it. From His presence, earth and sky fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead. Great, you know, very significant. Alexander the Great and the rest of us who almost no one knew. But every single one is significant here. The great and the small standing before the throne. And books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. I mean, just pause for a moment. That's the book of all the names with whom God is at peace through Jesus Christ. And the dead, 
They were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Peter preached the gospel to them. And Jesus from that little town of Nazareth is the one who is appointed to be the judge of the living and the dead on that future day. And on that day, every single human being who ever existed will stand before Jesus of Nazareth and will be either justly condemned for all of their sins or finally acquitted and pardoned and proclaimed to belong to the Lamb of God who suffered and died on behalf of their sins. And then they will be ushered into everlasting joy because of their faith in Jesus Christ alone. And that is the gist of Peter's last point. Verse 43. He is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. Through his name. That's the gospel. Jesus is the only way that God is forever reconciled to us sinners and thus at peace with us who love his Son. And as we will see next week, it is possible for guilty sinners to meet. Jesus right now in this life by the Holy Spirit. Long before we meet him in the resurrection as the judge on that future day. Everyone who believes meets him and they receive forgiveness of all their sins. That's how Jesus brings peace with God. The way Peter began the sermon. As for the word he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Essentially the same way the Apostle Paul says it in Romans 5.1. Since 
we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the promise is for everyone in Cornelius' house. And it is for everyone in this room. Here's the promise. If you believe in Jesus, if you trust Him as the peacemaker between you, a sinner, and God, your Creator, if you come to Him as your Lord, if you see and you believe that He willingly went to the cross in order to nail the punishment for your sins upon those pieces of wood. And if you believe the eyewitness testimony of Peter and of the others that God raised Him from the dead, if you believe, then you will be forgiven. You will be saved. You will, in that day, starting forever and ever, glorify your Creator. Glorify the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world. Joyfully and to your eternal pleasure. Let's pray. Oh, Father... As we continue to read in this text and come back to it next week, it says that your Holy Spirit acted, moved, fell upon them, and they believed. Oh, Father, glorify the name of your Son by doing that in here. May no soul in the hearing of this offer of peace perish forever. But may their names be written in the book of life to the glory of our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.